0: Well, I can relate to a lot within that video, mostly because uh, one, it's Father's Day, and then two, I start to think about my dad. My dad is not your atypical father, um, he kind of has a cultural disconnect, and so um, he uh, went to La Fiesta back when they were on 82. and doesn't understand like enchilada or how to pronounce it or sizzling and what it means and so he ordered the number 42 and it was the plate where they bring out the sizzling fajitas and the flour tortillas and the rice and the beans and the pica de gallo and the, all the extra little fixins and all that good stuff and we laughed the first time because he tried to tell the waiter that it was not what he ordered and he pointed to the little thing and said, 42, 42. And my dad said, oh, I just, I can't eat all this. Go ahead and bring me a to-go box. And But it became pathetic as he began to do it over and over again. Uh, every time, using the same excuse, I didn't order this, this isn't what I ordered. And I'm like, you know, I would have ingrained 42 in my brain so that I never had to go through that embarrassment again. You know, not only do they walk through the facility with the sizzling fajitas, you know, so everybody's like, ooh, what's that? That smells great. You know, and then they bring it to your table and it's like three plates of food and nobody else has any room to eat. I would have ingrained that number so that I never ordered 42 again. Or if I did, I got it to go, for crying out loud. You know, when I think about my dad, I think about my wife and me sitting on the couch one day and my dad coming out and Fixed to something to drink, and me and my wife both look at each other, and my wife says, "Jerry, you're wearing my pants. These were in my closet, and my mom found an old pair of my da- of my wife's pants, put them in my dad's closet, and he wore them." The elevator's moving; it's just not making it all the way up. We were out at uh, we were out at um. Mississippi State. They were competing in a baseball regional several years ago, and uh, this great storm blew up all of a sudden. And the black—I mean, the the clouds—you know—it went from a beautiful summer day to a, a storm. And I think there was actually like a tornado that came through with it at the same time. And the wind was just gusting. And they made a loud announcement: "Say, like, everybody, please report to the Humphrey Coliseum immediately. Go through these doors." And everybody kind of piled out in a civil fashion. Like, hey, you know if If I've got to go, it's my time, but I don't want to push anybody else out of the way. It may not be their time. There was only one person that acted a fool in the whole area, and it was my father. There's a good chance some children got pushed down. He was the only person that ran from the stadium into the other building. I mean, the rest of us were like, we got like a five-minute window here, you know. My cousin was complaining about peanuts that were thrashed in front of his face. It turns out my dad was eating peanuts. He just threw them and took off running. And they were, the wind was just blowing them back. And he's like, I could have sworn somebody was throwing them at me. Somebody was throwing them at you. It was my father. My dad decided he wanted to share with me the facts of life, or the birds and the bees, if you will he decided that a crowded TCBY would be the best location. When I inclined that it might not be the best thing, he then decided a month later to tell me in the drive through at Taco Bell, not while we were waiting on our food, before we previously ordered the lady in there, got the facts of life too. And then on my wedding day, About an hour before I was about to get married, my dad runs up and he says, hey, I know we never really completely had that conversation. I just want to make sure you know everything. And I'm like, if I don't know by now, I'm in a world of trouble. So you've done your job. Check it off your list, you know. He's not your atypical father, but he is my dad. And he's proven one thing. You don't have to be perfect or having high... IQ to produce a, a extremely good-looking young son. <laughs> you know, extremely cool. I know who I am. I look in the mirror every day. But I had the opportunity, too, to to speak with you over uh, Mother's Day. If you're not familiar with who I am, my name's Tyler Marsh. I'm the youth pastor here. And to a lot of you, that means why did we show up this Sunday? So, But Pastor Tim, like I said, Uh, uh, text me early this morning he's not feeling well and uh, Rebecca made me feel extremely comfortable and completely ready to go when she said oh you're preaching today (laughs) so I you know it's nothing like you know I'm like the guy they put in in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and you gotta win this game to keep the season going and everybody in the stands is like why him the coach doesn't care he doesn't want to earn a paycheck our season is over. But when I had the opportunity to sh- speak with you on Mother's Day, it was a great pleasure because, you know, obviously I believe that mothers hold a very special place in the lives of children. Uh, I also believe that fathers hold a very special place. So I didn't plan on speaking with you this morning, but in the course of about three and a half hours, I've come up with something. Um, It's funny, though, that Mother's Day comes in the month of May, so it comes before Father's Day. It's kind of just a thing we accept. Not only do we accept it, well, it took 50-plus years to add it as a national holiday after Mother's Day. I guess fathers just didn't quite cut it for a while. So, But if you think that fathers are any less important because of where they fall in the national holiday register or where they fall, I ask you to just take a moment to take a look at the statistics 71 percent of pregnant teenagers come from homes without a father 63 percent of youth suicides come from fatherless homes 90 percent of repeat adolescent arsonists come from fatherless homes 71 percent of kids that will drop out of high school this year come from fatherless homes There were tons of other statistics that I could have shared with you this morning. But the statistics for incarcerated people coming from fatherless homes is off the chart. I would also like to know, and I searched and searched and searched for it, how many of those people incarcerated come from a place where they don't know a heavenly father as well? Right now, the Cairo's prison ministry is serving 472 men and women's prison correctional facilities. 472 correctional facilities in the United States. America leads the whole earth in per capita people that are incarcerated. And I'm telling you right now that 90% of the youth come from fatherless homes. So, if you don't believe that fathers have a great impact in the life of children, I just encourage you to just ask Google today on your way home how big of an impact a father has in a person's life. Would you stand with me as I read Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 32? And it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will we not also with Him graciously give all things? Dear Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We pray that You will speak through us, through me today, God, and help us to deliver the message that will help to impact the lives of everyone that is here today. It's in your precious name that we pray. So, you may be seated. So, as I, as I was saying, I, re- I just read to you from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And I forgot to say amen, so amen. Uh, so, uh, that's why you were all still standing, so I get it now. The elevator's going, it's just not making it all the way up. I am my father's child. Uh, but anyway... I shared this verse with you today and you say, well, it doesn't have the word father in it, but it does have a very impactful statement. He who did not spare his own son. So if, I was, if somebody was to come to me and they said, Tyler, let me have Aiden, and I can free all the world of all condemnation, of all penalty, of all punishment. We're just going to take this one child, give him to us. Do you know that I don't believe that I could do it? I don't believe that I could sit there and take my child and watch him die. Not just die, but be beaten. Not just be beaten, but be, have a crown of thorns pushed upon his head. Not just bleed, but suffer. Not just bleed, but thirst. Not just have anger, but bleed through that anger. But yet, instill still in the midst of that, say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I don't think that I could watch my son go through such misery. But it says right here in Romans, as Paul writes, he, says, he said, God didn't even spare His own son. So if He didn't even begin to do that, how much does the Father love you? If He conquered the greatest obstacle, the greatest bound, the greatest leap the greatest thing that he had to conquer, and that was watching his son die the death that we so rightfully deserved. Because as the criminal stood beside him in Luke 23, one says, hey, aren't you God? Hey, if you're God, step down from this cross. Don't do this. Step down. And then yet the other person says, we're standing here and this man has done nothing wrong. But yet he is dying. And the other criminal says, today will you remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today you will join me in paradise. Not once you repeat Psalms 23, not once you say this, not once you do that, not once you do this, but today you will join me in paradise. Because you understand that what you so rightfully deserve, I stand on this cross and receive today. Not One minute could I stop and say that I could do that. I couldn't. And God had every opportunity. As Pilate stood there with Jesus on one side and Barabbas on the other, and he said, it's Jewish culture for me to give someone up, a prisoner to you today. Who do you want? Do you want Jesus or you want Barabbas? Barabbas, this thug and murderer and rebel. Or do you want Jesus who's healed the blind and help the lame walk. And the crowd cries out, give us Barabbas. But couldn't God have just stepped in right then and there and said, no, give them, get them to say Jesus. And then my son won't have to go through the suffering. But no, yet and still he did it. When Jesus was in the garden and he was praying to spare him, he said, Father, spare me of this. But yet God still let it go through. And God, being the creator of the universe, and me, His creation, loved me that much and that great that yet even still while I was a sinner and every time that I would spit in God's face and every time I would do the right thing for the wrong reason and every time I would think that I'm just getting myself out of trouble because my parents don't know and every stupid, selfish thing that I did, Jesus took that and God allowed it to happen. Because He loved me that much. And I'm telling you today, there's a problem in America with people understanding how great that love is. Because we teach people that Jesus is a giver of things instead of something that He has already given that is so much greater. Because see, if we could just begin to understand how sinful we really are, we would understand how great the price really was. If we could begin to understand just that, we would begin to understand how great of a price it was for God to watch His Son hang upon a cross, beaten and shed and laid there to die. Yes, He knew that victory was coming. But still, could you imagine, even knowing that your child would be okay to even see them go through one ounce of anguish. One ounce of anguish. But because of this, Jesus has said, if, and, and Paul goes on to say, he said, him who did not give up his own son... Who gave Him up for all of us? How will He not graciously give us all things? And that doesn't mean the first parking lot at Walmart, the first parking spot at Walmart. That doesn't mean some blessed car that you think you received on some high dollar loan. That doesn't mean some two-story house. But that means the fact that God has given us all the right to receive and inherit the kingdom of heaven. Because what? Because He offered up His own Son to take on sinful flesh that we deserved because God didn't want to see 71% of people not be able to receive it he wanted it for all people he wanted it for everyone today in our society it's not just that we have a problem with teaching our kids something wrong we have a father problem I know you've all probably seen the movie Courageous where the guy says, hey, any fool could be a father, but it takes a man to be a dad. There's never been a truer statement said within a movie. Anybody can be a father. It doesn't take much. But what it means to be a person's dad, to be a person's caregiver. And as I shared with you on Mother's Day, I told you, I said, my kids don't come to me when they're sick. They want mama. They don't come to me when they've got a boo-boo. They don't come to me. They want mama. There's certain things that dad can't do. I just can't conquer those things. And I'm okay with that. But just as the video said, that's why God designed it. One woman and one man. That's why you're supposed to have a mother and a father. And those things are supposed to be achieved within the household. Raise up your children in the way of the Lord and there they shall go. Because, see, the problem is, is that people don't believe this stuff anymore. People aren't standing up for what it's being said. And you know who it falls on? The men of this country. Because you are called to be spiritual leaders of your household, to be spiritual leaders of your church, to be spiritual leaders of your community. You are called out by God. And believe me, when you stand before Him, He will ask you the question. And it's pretty simple. He already told you what he'll tell you if he's not pleased. The weight that a father carries is great. The weight that a man carries in our society is enormous. But yet we let the levels of pornography and the levels of alcohol and the levels of tobacco and we let the levels of all of the consumptions of this world achieve us and consume us. To the point where we just say, God is all loving and all accepting and everybody's going to get to heaven. If that were true, then why did Jesus ever come? If that were true, then why did Jesus have to suffer in anguish? And why did God have to offer him up to receive such things? Why? Because humans sin. And humans mess things up. We are imperfect beings created by a perfect creator. And I can't even begin to fathom his logic because I'm his creation. I don't define him, he defines me. See, I think the problem is is that when my kids reach out to me and they want me to go fishing and they want me to do these things, the real thing that they're saying to me is lead me. Show me, dad. Teach me how to do this, Dad. But if I don't know Jesus, I can't give them what they ultimately need because I will always fall short of what it is that they need. It reminds me of being young and being in school and you get a crush on the little girl that sits next to you in third grade and you ask your best friend not to say anything, but before the end of the day, her, her best friend walks up to you and says, so I hear you like so-and-so. Well, do you like her or do you like her like her? Like, I don't know, I guess I like her. What does like her like her mean? Is there some level of like I haven't achieved yet in my eight years of life? Well, you exchange phone numbers, but nobody knows why because you're in the third grade. You're not going to call each other. But then one October day, a little chilly, not too cold, windbreaker would do, not a heavy jacket. You walk outside, and just before you even have the courage to ask her to hold your hand, you walk outside during recess, and you catch your best friend pushing her on the swing set. That didn't happen to me. It might have happened to you. I'm always trying to keep things as relative as possible. Let's fast forward a few years and let's say you're in junior high. Some of you, that was quite a while ago. Some of you are right there right now. But you're in junior high and there's always two days of school that you like. The first day and the last day. You like the first day because mom and dad take you out for new shoes, new clothes, new school equipment. So you're walking down the hallway and you're feeling good and you're feeling like you're looking good, okay? You got your new cut, your new kicks. You're walking, hey, what's up? Hadn't seen you while hey, good, good, good. to see you. And then you see her. And everything becomes slow motion like they did in the movies. And all of a sudden, the song that your dad sang in the shower goes on repeat in your brain. And it's, when a man loves a woman Can't keep his mind on anything else And you wore that Michael Bolton CD out. And you go home and everything that comes on makes you think of her. Every TV show, every obstacle. And then all of a sudden your whole day is planned around this 3.5 seconds that you run into this person in the hallway. But all of a sudden your hair doesn't fall the same way and your clothes don't feel the same way. You just don't feel quite good enough. So you let this go on for a couple months, and eventually you get phone numbers. Everybody remember the old phones that you actually had to press the numbers. Some of you had the ones where you you had to dial the numbers, and if you messed up, it was like, oh man, got to start all the way back over. But but back when I was growing up, you actually had to learn people's phone numbers. Nowadays, you can just put their name in some kind of smart device, but. I, I used to go home and I'd dial like six digits. If you don't understand what that means, you young ones, there's seven digits in a phone number. So I used to dial six and then I would hang up because I didn't want to dial that last one. And then I, there used to be an unspoken rule, boys call the girls and you call before 9 p.m. And so it was about 8.55, you know, let's say it's 8.55 and you're sitting there and you want to talk to her and then, you finally dial that last number by accident and you don't want to hang up, but you don't know what to do and you're kind of in limbo and you're sitting there on the phone. And then you're like, uh, you finally get on the phone with her. You're like, hey, uh, well, my phone's about to die. I just want to talk to you. Blah, blah, blah. So you hang up the phone. But you've gone. You finally get in this relationship with this person and this is the part that has haunted parents since the beginning of time and in the invention of telephones. You come home. You throw your book back down you tackle your little brother on the way to the phone, you grab the phone, you run in your room, you slam the door, you lock the door, you turn the TV off, you turn the TV down, and you sit there and you talk for hours about absolutely nothing. I mean, this is a conversation that if the NSA was to tap into, they would have no idea who was speaking. This is a conversation that two other human beings could not decipher or comprehend. But you want to know everything about this person. You want to know who their mama is and who their daddy is and who their mama's mamas is. You want to know if they have shutters outside their house, if they like cheese pizza or pepperoni, Maybe they're one of those weird people that likes pineapple on their pizza. You want to know if she likes hot fudge Sundays and nuts on her ice cream If she's maybe one of those weird people that likes sherbet, because you don't know if sherbet's really ice cream or some kind of frozen popsicle mixture thing? You're just not sure. But you want to know what you want to know absolutely everything about this person. And I want everybody to just pause real quick. You want to know absolutely everything about this person. But get this. I think God wants that kind of relationship with us. I think He wants us to come home and shut the door and turn the radio off and turn the TV off and just sit there and talk to Him for hours about absolutely nothing. And get this. God wants to know everything about you, but He already knows everything about you. And you ask me, Tyler, why does He want to know more about me? Because that's how God develops a relationship with you. Because you can't get to, to the Father in heaven unless you go through Jesus. And Jesus says, you, you have to have a relationship with me, and it has to be personal, and it has to be intimate. Not one that's with your church, not one that's with your community, not one that's with your small group, but one-on-one. How do you know Jesus? I ask my youth all the time, when's the last time you read your Bible? Uh, convocation? You can't have a relationship with somebody that you don't know anything about. It's impossible. I ask him, when's the last time you partake in communion? Oh, the last time we had it. Communion, is it, do this in remembrance of me, is the anniversary of the worst but greatest day in history. Every time you do it, it's like you're revisiting that anniversary. I ask him, when's the last time you prayed? Oh, this morning, over lunch, blah, 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 so on and so forth. How can you have a relationship with somebody that you never speak to? Because His Word says to pray without ceasing. And you still ask me, well, why does God want this personal relationship with me? Well, John 10, 10 states it for me. It says, I came that they may have life. And it's pretty obvious that we all have life in here, I think. We're all breathing. We're all existing. But he didn't just say, I came that they may have life. He said, I came that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. More than sin. More than destruction. More than hate. More than crime. More than violence. More than all this. But I came that they may have joy. That they may have dreams. That they may have hope. That they may have future I came that they may achieve something that could not be achievable unless I offered up everything that I had and that was bringing my son into flesh to develop their sin, to take it to the cross, and I had to watch him bear it. There was a cheerleader once whose cheerleading practice was on Wednesday nights. And she asked her cheerleading coach if she could miss because Wednesday night was church night. And her coach said, well, no, this is the night that works best for everybody. You'll just have to come or you can't be on the team. And that cheerleader looked back at her and she said, I'm not a cheerleader that just happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian that just happens to be a cheerleader. See, because when my children tell me to lead me, I can't lead them unless I know who can save them. Because there's nothing that daddy can do to heal them. There's nothing that daddy can do to save them. There's nothing that daddy can do to take their sin away. But only Jesus can do that. And if I don't know Jesus, then I can't lead my children. Then I'm not a dad. I'm just a father that happens to be here while they're here on earth. But if I don't point them to Jesus, then I've pointed them in the wrong direction. There are two types of people in this world. There's the type of people, let's imagine that we're at Disney World. You're on the 25th floor. You got your swim trunks on. You're interested in swimming in the pool. You're at the very top. You come all the way down. You walk up to the pool. Tap your toe in. "Ah, It's too cold. We'll sit over here and let the water warm up in this 10 minutes. Maybe it'll be hotter. Then eventually you put your feet in. Then eventually you get in, so on and so forth. And then there's the other type of person. As soon as the elevator door dings, they lose their towel, their sandals. They run into an old man picking up his afternoon coffee. They run into the janitor cart. They lose everything, including their dignity along the way. They slam through the door and they shout, Patty! And they jump in, and this enormous splash happens in the pool. And what happens from the splash? Waves. And what happens from the waves? Ripples. And before long, every single person is touched in that pool by what that one person did. My life has to be a ripple effect for my children. My children must understand. My church, my community, my friends must understand. My life must point towards Jesus. And if I don't have a relationship with Jesus, then I can't point my kids in the right direction and I'm not okay with them doing the right thing for the wrong reason. My joy in life is just not to make sure that my kids don't get pregnant, that they don't hook on drugs, that they don't do all those things. My joy in life is that they come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. All other things should come with that. Because in order to love Jesus, you must follow His commandments. Let us pray. Dear Gracious and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that you have set aside for us to meet in here this morning. I pray for a speedy recovery for Pastor Tim. I pray over our Vacation Bible School, and I pray over that if there is someone in this room this morning that maybe heard something or felt something, that God, even if they feel as though they need to come and just kneel at the altar and pray, that you would create the comfort within them to allow them to do so. God, I just pray as Philip leads us now that that invitation will be open. And I pray as we continue forward that we will all have a blessed and joyous Father's Day. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.